Hey everyone, uh, Sriram here. I'm joined by Dan Albert, um, one of our best staff writers and one of our most consistent content producers who actually already went through the trouble of previewing this entire card with another one of our uh, staff members, Fenio. Uh, so first of all, go check that out if you want something super in-depth. But this is the regular MMA podcast. Unfortunately, Ed could not be here. Um, we are very saddened by this fact because, I mean, you know, everyone's excited about the fight this weekend. Uh, you know, at least... It's the sort of fight where everyone's excited about the fight this weekend has some weird connotations because someone might assume you're talking about Diaz Lawler. But what I'm talking about is Alexander Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega. So, uh, Dan, how are you feeling? Uh, I, I'm feeling pretty good. This whole card's not really that good overall, but there's some intriguing questions you can ask elsewhere. Fenyo and I broke it down on a far longer preview. But, uh, I mean, the the fight that everyone needs to see is Volkanovsky-Ortega. And I think when it was first announced, um, I, I think common perception kind of, um, even amongst us on staff, kind of differs from how most of us have kind of come around to see it now. Because I think the more you think about it, the more interesting it becomes. Because there's just so many unanswered like things that, well, you're not going to get answers until we actually see the fight. So I, I think it's a pretty damn good one. Yeah, I mean, part of it is also just nerves. A lot of us like Volkanovski a lot. So, like, you know, the closer it gets to the fight, you're like, oh, well, how can this possibly go wrong for him? But, yeah, so mm -hmm. it's a super interesting fight between, I mean, I think where Ortega stands is kind of interesting just because, by my count, he's fought one elite featherweight and he's lost quite badly to him. But a lot of people rate the Korean zombie win quite highly, and I think that's fine. Um, you know, mostly on the performance and not on the opposition. Uh, where he stands for me, I think he's about the fourth, fifth best featherweight on the planet. Um, I can see him being trouble for Calvin Cater, although that's not necessarily a great matchup for him. Holloway already beat him. And I think Volkanovski is a fight that's uh, uh, honestly a bit not, I wouldn't say easier. Uh, you can see the routes for him in that fight a little bit easier, but it it's tough with Volkanovski just because any opening you see, he's just going to take it away within one or two exchanges. So yeah, it's a super interesting fight. Uh, Dan, what are your initial thoughts on it? Um, so when this fight was first announced, my, my initial read was um, based upon how I look at Volkanovski. I think uh, the best way to look at Volkanovski is he's basically the most systemic fighter in MMA. He's yep. someone who's built around like every single part functions to create like the sum and his game is at its most effective when everything's working, but when singular parts maybe aren't working in tandem, that's where you kind of see the little margins of error for him. Um, that said, he kind of masks those by A, being self-aware of what he can do, B, being willing to experiment consistently enough to like change things when things aren't working. He's incredibly capable at strategically... Um, preparing for a wide variety of fairly difficult guys to prepare for and having some answers. But he's also great at like recognizing mistakes and when things aren't going bad and just applying different ways to deal with them. He's, um, yeah, he's a very, very systemically gifted fighter and arguably the best in MMA right now at it. Um, the, he, but I think, uh, there, there's a lot of misconception going into this fight. Um, that because like, of uh, how matchups work that, Oh, so kind of like one of those math. Yeah. Volk beat uh, Max and Max beat the crap out of Ortega things. Yeah. yeah and I think um, from the very first moment, this fight was announced. My initial thought was, so one thing I don't think we've seen Ortega deal with, no, sorry, Volkanovsky deal with 
is I think Volkanovsky, um, we've seen him prepare for guys whom it's not that the book is out, but you kind of know what to expect from them. You kind of know that there's a very like clear process to how guys do things like Aldo has like these ranges. Aldo has like these set tools. Aldo does these things. And Volkanovsky catered his game around that. Max Holloway, I released a breakdown earlier today of a rewrite that I did last year. Er, Max wants to enter the pocket and force as many exchanges as possible. Well, the answer is take away the tools that allow him to get to that pocket, i.e. the jab. And don't just have one way of taking it away. Have several and cater that in order to like neutralize him. Like Volkanovsky is not really the fighter who dominates his opponents. He's more of like a neutralizer and kind of the problem that I think Ortega introduces is that Ortega is the kind of fighter who kind of feels his way into fights and kind of adjust accordingly by his own kind of jank instead of like having like a clear process beyond being really opportunistic and dangerous. Yeah, I think it's kind of an interesting way to put it is because they're both incredibly smart in totally different ways. Um, Volkanovsky is the sort who his intelligence is geared towards winning minutes, right? He's mm-hmm. both a really good volume fighter and someone who just doesn't allow his opponent to get volume off at all. Um, incredibly strong uh, ring craft on the outside, strong footwork, um, great at disrupting his opponent's entries. Uh, actually, a bit better of a counterpuncher than I thought going into the first Max fight. Uh, he didn't look like a ton of one against Chad Mendez. But um, he really geared his approach against Max Holloway on countering his entries and just having the strong distancing and, um, you know, really making it hell for Max to jab his way in. Just not even hell, just an incredibly annoying thing to do. Like, he wasn't punished every time. He just didn't get anything for it a lot of the time. Um, But Ortega, it's again, it's really interesting just because the Volk-Max-Ortega relationship, it doesn't capture how being literally immortal kind of kills any hope Ortega has of doing like with Volkanovsky, it's he's very good, right? But we saw in the Max rematch, he is not Max's tier of durable. And no one in MMA is, right? But if you are able to be finished, that's where Ortega lives. And Max Holloway, he's just impossible to finish. He's not even particularly possible to hurt unless you're a power punching lightweight who's like the biggest puncher at your weight class. So I think that opens up some routes for Ortega that he did not have against Max Holloway. But, and I mean, I think the other thing is that Holloway, he's a bit more geared towards extended exchanges. Volkanovski is geared towards denying them. Uh, and I think that could work against Ortega, but where Ortega really starts to struggle is when exchanges get a bit longer. Like he starts, you know, doing that funky shoulder roll in the high guard. And that's where Max started beating him up super badly, you know, like taking these short little angles um, on like in the pocket and as uh, Ortega like popped up from the shoulder roll, he just blast him from like behind him. <laughs> yeah. There's um, I, I said this with Fanyo, but basically part of Ortega's process is Ortega likes to feel his way around things and doesn't mind like using his jab kind of an underrated tool of his um, in order to like get things done or to like enter exchanges or to like create responses. Cause I think Ortega is, besides his killer instinct, he particularly excels on the counter. And it's not just a singular kind of counter he looks for. It's multiple counters to the body, to the head, taking a slight like slip off an angle, overhand. Um, and he is willing to flurry and throw. The, th- the problem is, versus Max, is that if you're going to touch your way in versus Max, you either need to have the power to ma- make Max back off or be able to exchange in that many layers with him, like Poirier did. 
and straight up, first of all, Ortega couldn't exchange in that many layers, like you just said. But the second problem is, well, if you're going to basically stand in the fire with Max Holloway, well, you better have like some positional acumen to stay there. And Ortega just kind of didn't. And that's a kind of the issue. So I, I think that kind of leads us back to this point. It's like, so when this matchup was announced, I think a lot of people were like, oh yeah, so Volk basically fought on Max's like level continuously. And that means Volkanovski is going to dominate this fight. And it's like, first and foremost, Volkanovski, how Volkanovski wins fights, he doesn't necessarily like beat the shit out of guys the way Holloway does. Like he can, but it's more like he neutralizes them to not be able to do much of anything. Like he definitely can crack. He can control them like he does against Elkins, but it's like, you don't really see Volkanovski going out there and just putting it on someone just overwhelming them the way Max Holloway does. Like, very, very different process as to what they do things. So it's like, we, we said this is kind of, um I, I think, um I, I said versus Fenyo, this feels like a minutes versus moments kind of fight. Um, and it's it, it's basically hard to fully articulate this, but or t- Volkanovski likes to be one step ahead consistently because that's where he's comfortable. But being one step ahead inherently means like you're still kind of like a bit competitive and the door is kind of slightly ajar for the other guy to get back into it. And nobody, I think in the entirety of the featherweight division at the very least, and not that many in the MMA take advantage of margins of error, quite like Brian. Yeah, I think all that's fair. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think I also kind of think that Volkanovsky's propensity to dominate is kind of underplayed because of his opponents in his last three, I believe. Uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, Max Holloway, yeah, you're never going to dominate him. Like, he fought Dustin Poirier and wasn't dominated, and hurting him is a task in and of itself. Uh, so, that didn't, I, there there was really no way that fight was going to be anything but like competitive. The first fight is probably the widest anyone ever beats Max Holloway, to be honest. Uh, but, yeah, and I mean, Jose Aldo, incredibly strong defensive fighter, and Volkanovski just had to kind of skirt around his area of competence uh, and get a win that was, I mean, it was convincing that Volkanovski was an elite. It wasn't as convincing that he would be in a good position against an Aldo who was willing to throw a bit more volume. So it's the sort of thing where if you go back to like Volkanovski's earlier UFC fights, he was more of a pressury, clinchy, ground and poundy guy. He is he has a skill set capable of dominating. It's just that he was fighting dudes who were A, impossible to hurt, and B, very, very, very hard to grapple. So when you get to that point, I think Volkanovski figuring out a way to win it all is a pretty decent credit. But yeah, I think mm-hmm. this is the sort of fight where Ortega is definitely closer to the likes of uh, Holloway and Aldo, at least that Aldo, than uh, the guys who Volkanovski has completely squished. The uh, the exception being Chad Mendez, who, I mean, for all of Mendez's strengths, his thing was never staying in a fight for super long. Um, he, you know, when he lost, he lost fairly hard a couple of times. And uh, fragility is, I wouldn't say he was fragile, definitely not, not in his prime. But at that point in his career, he didn't really seem like he was at 100%. So that's something. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I expect this one to be a close fight if Volkanovski wins. I just don't necessarily think that Ortega is the sort to really gain systemic advantages anywhere the mm-hmm. way that Max Holloway did. I think there are ways that Ortega can win this fight. Uh, outside kicking could work decently. He did kick up Korean Zombie a bit. Um, the body work that he showed in a Sonata Moicano, that's one thing, because we have seen Volkanovski is a bit high guardy when he gets into the pocket. Um, 
Jose Aldo was able to take advantage. Chad Mendez entered to the body a couple times to decent success. But the issue is how is Ortega going to get into any of those positions? And that's not something that I have a good answer for. Uh, yeah, I think w- when I was thinking about this fight, um, I, I kind of asked myself in terms of like cage craft or like ring craft, kind of how this looks, because I do have reservations about Volkanovski kind of like having some linear retreats and tendencies to cross his feet a lot uh, with how bladed he works and how much mm-hmm. he's reliant upon like that whole folding the hip. But and just how much he has to really jump straight in yeah. off the blitzes and really fake in order to make those work. And if like you can capitalize on that with the right counter timing, which Ortega definitely yeah. can. Um, which is like the scary zone. Cause it's like, although Holloway's probably more processed as a counter puncher, like Ortega has a knack for like reading counters and it's, um, that that's the danger zone for Volk here. But when it comes to like ring generalship, like Volkanovsky is way, way more proven than Brian Ortega is. I do think Ortega gets how to read the rhythm of the fight really, For really sure. well, like intuitively. Yeah. But it's but in terms of like proving himself like positionally and then like creating situations around the ring that or cage. Sorry, that's not really something I think we've seen too much from him because it's like. You, you'll watch the Chan Sung Jung fight, and before the fight, people were saying, yeah, Jung's going to knock him out because Jung's the best counterpuncher at the weight class, and it's like, no. But Jung is capable of, like, being dangerous, and you do see that, like, discipline process, like, on the back foot he showed, because at least he didn't have to take damage that time to get things done. But still, the fact that Jung backed him up consistently to the fence with just, like, some basic threats still is, like, indicative that, like, I think offensively, Ortega's offense is still kind of his best defense. Yeah, I'd agree. I think, yeah, the junk fight was weird. Uh, Ortega seemed to be kind of coming in with a different approach. I wouldn't, a lot of people think Ortega came in looking a lot better than he used to. I don't think I'd go that far just because uh, Jung, despite his wins over guys like Edgar and Moicano, he is a lot simpler to deal with. Uh, if I may, I, I feel like a good way of looking at that fight, I, I, kind of suggest is I think at the very least it shows that he's trying to experiment with something different or like trying to build like some versatility in his game as opposed to like getting entirely yeah, better. I think that's a good point. It's just that I'm not sure. Like it's kind of like what uh, happened with Justin Gaethje. You don't know whether this is versatility or just him changing overall. So like whether he can turn on the pressure a second time or he's just, you know, this guy now, but yeah, I think that's a good point. It's just that with TKZ, it's weird because I mean, I think everyone assumed he wouldn't really be able to, hang out in exchanges with TKZ. That's the one place where TKZ is like particularly dangerous, but Ortega did a good job. It's just that against other opponents, Ortega's best uh, asset isn't really his noose in exchanges. It isn't really like anything like his setups, even it's his pace uh, against Hanato Moicano. He pushed a insane pace. And I think that's the most representative Ortega fight there's been because he not only lost the first two mm-hmm. rounds and won in the third, as is the general Ortega consensus, uh, he also really built into that finish. He lost the first two rounds, but he was working and he was figuring it out. He was slamming in body work from the end of the second round. And Moicano just couldn't take the heat. And that's how Ortega tends to win fights. And I think that's what made it so tough against Max Holloway, for one. And I think that's what makes it so tough against Volkanovski, is putting a pace on Volkanovski it might be a bit more doable than against Max Holloway, who is just roundly, completely immune to pace. But Volkanovski has a lot more tools to make sure your pace doesn't get above 
where he wants it to be. Um, he's not going to compete mm-hmm. with you in exchanges in order to just beat the crap out of you and go above and beyond your pace. He's going to shut you down. And mm-hmm. I think that's where it's going to be tough. As I said before, I don't really know how Ortega gets to the positions that he needs uh, in order to enforce that pace-based game. Um, if he wants to jab in, we've seen several times. Volkanovski has the tools to shut down a jab. Uh, he might not be playing that game against Ortega, but I think he figures it out. If Ortega starts jabbing in a lot, he'll just go to the Holloway game plan. So I also think Ortega deciding to take the back foot would be a terrible decision, honestly. Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, like, I think more of a neutral positioning more than anything else because I do not think he has the depth on the back yeah foot the well. ringcraft battle is entirely Volkanovski's and I don't think he can really enforce a neutral game if Volkanovski doesn't concede to it I don't expect a fighter as focused as Volkanovski to concede to that sort of fight um you know he was very very focused on drawing Max Holloway forward and playing a back foot game in both of those fights and was equally focused at pushing Mendez back uh that's what's so special about Volkanovski in my opinion is that he has a couple of tools but he can use them in just a bunch of different ways and Ortega, I think he doesn't really have the depth to do the same thing. He just has the feel. And that's definitely dangerous. Like, a, a one thing, like, I think you can point to specific sorts of exchanges where Volkanovski's going to have trouble. The, the leaping entries is one thing. Um, Ortega does a really, really good job in dealing with guys changing levels uh, or dipping. Uh, that's how he drew out Guida's dip and need his head off. He has a pretty dedicated, defined, uh, developed snapdown game. Uh, and Volkanovski, for his part, did get in trouble for his dipping jab against Max Holloway. Like, there are ways in which Ortega can take advantage of singular moments, but relying on singular moments against Volkanovski, who's just going to take that away as soon as you take advantage, you're going to need to hit a home run the first time, and that's just not... Mm -hmm. It's tough to bet on. Uh, I think the odds are about right. Volkanovski's a narrower favorite than a lot of people think, but... um, yeah, I think it's it's an interesting fight for sure. I just think it pretty reliably ends in Volkanovski by unanimous. Yeah, I I have um quite a bit else to also say though. Um, there there's there are I I agree basically with picking Volkanovski, and I definitely think the reasoning sound. Um, I do think uh, my theory on how Ortega has kind of worked is I think Ortega, uh, it kind of prioritizes creating responses out of his opponents in orthodox manners, but also like kind of making them overthink. Like one thing that's really stood out to me about Ortega and like you said, Moicano fighting is a good example. You see it against Swanson too, but it's like, I've always noticed Ortega is kind of a really, really perky jerky kind of upper body fainter, even amongst like the upper echelons of MMA. You don't see that too often. And I think kind of like how he posits like his elbows or like, guard it kind of throws guys off because they don't really know how to deal with that and he kind of takes advantage of that in according to punishing them because then he'll just suddenly do something totally normal like taking a different angle on them and then countering and um i i think um it's also worth mentioning that like part again we've talked about the max fight versus ortega but it's like ortega still found moments against max it's just max's moments just were like 80 percent more potent and every success Ortega had was just drowned out. But it's still worth mentioning that he tagged Max on like Max's exits and entries consistently. So it's like Ortega still has that little eye for detail, especially as it, the fight goes on, even if he's getting overwhelmed to some degree. He like So kind of how I feel about this fight is I, I do think there's also like 
misconceptions about Volkanovski as a fighter. Like we've kind of already outlined some. I do think um, a lot of people have been talking like in terms of, hey, he outboxed Max Holloway. And I don't think that's true. I think it's more so he just mitigated boxing kind of situations altogether. And if he did have to engage in those, he made sure that they were like very, very small exchanges that favored him. Because I do think there's kind of layers that Volkanovski can't go too far in exchanges sure. either. And um, I because I, I kind of think Volkanovski is more of like a maybe two three kind of set strikes per exchange fighter, whereas I think Ortega can maybe go four, but it depends like where it is. So I think this fight is really going to come down to ringcraft. I think it's going to come down to rhythm. And it may start a little weird because you're going to see Volkanovski like have whatever preparation he set for this opponent versus a guy who usually kind of shows up differently and then adapts as it goes on. And I think this fight is probably going to be tense. I don't, I, I would kind of be a little surprised if there wasn't like rounds where things were really competitive. Um, I, I do, I wouldn't like count it out that Volkanovsky controls him, but I kind of feel like Ortega kind of gets underplayed with how smart he is. So I do think this will become kind of a more thinking man's fight as it goes. And it will probably have like a few moments where Volk has to collect himself. Um, the the one thing I don't really feel oh like I have any read on is like the wrestling and grappling. That's not really my niche or like strength. Mm, yeah, I mean it's kind of not mine either. But I actually I I think Volkanovski can kind of handle himself there, mostly because Ortega seems to be a, a threat in a transitional phase more than anything else. Uh, you know, when guys shoot on him out of exhaustion or being hurt, he's a lot more dangerous than when they actually hang out in his guard. I think it was Tiago Tavares mm-hmm. who just hung out on top of him for a good deal. Uh, I think Volkanovski, if he gets there, he can. It's just, it's probably not the path of least resistance. I don't expect Volkanovski to go that way. If he, do, if he does decide no. to go full contact, it probably ends up in the clinch. And I would not be surprised at that at all, right? If Ortega decides to take the back foot, Volkanovski does what he did against Mendez, you know, cuts him off with the lead leg kick, pushes him back with the jab, ends up in the clinch through that, uh, and just kind of beats him up there. Mm-hmm. I would definitely not be surprised. I just kind of think, like, it's also kind of a thing, what you mentioned with Max, that Ortega found his spots. I think Volkanovski, the, the edge to what Volkanovski does compared to Max is that you're just not going to get as many openings. You're not going to get as much input. And Ortega... For as impressively as Max beat him up, and for as impressively as Max beats anyone up, for that matter, he gives him a lot of input to work out solutions at the same mm-hmm. time if they're composed enough. Um, Ortega figured it out. No, I don't say he figured it out. That's a stupid thing to say. Ortega figured some things out. Uh, Calvin Cater did counter him consistently through the fight, even while both guys were getting completely swamped. On the contrary, Volkanovski, he's going to do his thing while not really giving the openings in exchanges past a certain point. Yeah. I think I, I think the layman's way of looking at this fight just in an entire vacuum, and I've written this on the preview uh, that we're releasing. I've written this, um, no, sorry, said it with Fenyo the other day, but basically this is a fight that comes down to the, like, the divisional's quintessential guy who gives you the least opportunities as much as possible versus the divisional guy who takes advantage of every opportunity he's given as much as yeah. possible. And. And I that that dynamic is inherently fascinating, no matter what. But um, it kind of also means we don't really know what this fight's going to look like until we yeah, see it. Yeah, I think it's interesting because that's the sort of dynamic where either the minute winner wins until he wins, or the minute winner wins until he dies. So you generally have a good bet. Like you'd look good betting on Volkanovski either way, but it's 
a lot more questionable whether mm-hmm. you'd win the bet. Um, but yeah. yeah, I think it's interesting just because both guys are like, it's the sort of thing where a lot of people don't know what either does well. So smart becomes the default. But unlike the last guy we saw with that, who is Tyron Woodley, they are actually smart. So, you know, it's not just a, oh my God, what do they do? I better assume that they have fight IQ thing. It's just, you know, their edge really is their ability to read the fight as it goes goes on and use their fairly simplistic, but at this point, very deep tool sets. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm interested. Uh, the the winner's in a good position. I mean, Ortega, if he wins, obviously, it's going to be Max Holloway, too. I don't think he's in a better position to win that fight. But um, if Volkanovski wins, it's going to be probably Max Holloway, three, which I don't know. Uh, that That's an even cooler fight than this one, I'd argue. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone knows what's going to happen with this fight, but I think that's just the intrigue here. It's certainly fun to talk about just for that reason alone. But, um. Yeah, I think Volkanovski having the deeper toolkit and, like, kind of more proven, like, attributes here is kind of makes him the favorite. But, yeah, I, I feel like we've kind of exhausted this fight. Yeah, I just also don't think there's anything else on the card that's great. Um, but we'll go through it. So we have, uh, well, I mean, you guys already went through it on your preview. So if you want to hear deep takes on Valentina Shevchenko um, versus Lauren Murphy, this is not the place. I repeat, this is not the place. Uh TBH, the deep takes come mostly from F- Enyo. I was just there yeah, for the ride. Yeah, I don't have any deep takes. So um, I'm not going to talk about this fight. Yeah, um, yeah. I think um, I, I, the one area we disagreed with was like Marais versus Marab. I don't know how you say his last Devalish name. Devalishvili. Um, it's Devilish William. All right, you get to say, you get, <laughs> you get to say that from now on, and then I'll just default to saying, yeah, that dude. Um, yeah. So Fenyo and I were split on this one. I'm curious what you're you think because um we were talking about like um it feels Marais being declined possibly like shot I don't know if I'd go that far yet until I see it but it's like Marais still kind of has that attributes where like if he can still kind of replicate some of the things he did in his prime I feel like this is a dangerous fight for Marab but it, it's also like if Marab can kind of like enforce a pace and control Marais, then he has a really good shot of just tiring him out, like cardio yeah, bowling. I him. think it's a weird fight just because it's so. So one thing that I've had with Marab ever since, I mean, since his last fight is that there's kind of a very clear pattern with the fights that he wins and the fights that he loses. Right? It's if he's the one with the higher pace, just naturally, he tends to do super well. It's you know with Rafael Asunza, even the first time he did very well, he arguably won. With John Dodson, who doesn't do a damn thing unless you make him. He did very well against Jimmy Rivera. I mean, Aljamain Sterling, sure, that one wasn't a great, like, it didn't show much. But even back then, Sterling wasn't a, a huge volume guy. He got out volume by a sunset. Uh, Rivera, that fight didn't go for very long, right? There's that. Aldo, who, he, after a certain point in that fight, he faded out too, right? He just gave Mariah uh, mm-hmm. the ability to put on the volume that he wanted. Compared to, if you look at guys like Henry Cejudo, Corey Sanhagen, and Rob Font, those are guys who push the volume very, very hard. I think... If Marias is Marias is a very good counterpuncher, but I think Marias really, really wants to be the guy who's leading. And if he's the one who's forced to hang out on the counter more than he wants to, it's gonna exhaust him mentally and exhaust him physically. So, yeah, Marias needs space to work and think, basically. Um, and, and the way you deal with him is to overload him or overwhelm yeah. him. 
But like, um, you'll need like multiple things to get that done, like feints, redirections, and probably some I mean, durability. I think that's as a well. question at this point, but in his prime for sure. Like we saw in all of his UFC, mm-hmm. like in all of his early UFC fights, at least, Rafael Sansa was the only one to quote beat unquote him at that point. And even there, Sansa had a really tough fight, and he needed a lot of very intelligent gambits. Like he started drawing out Moraes' counters, um, really defending, not really defending the kicks all that great, but at least trying to counter them fairly consistently. Uh, and he didn't mm-hmm. have the pace to put on Moraes, but he was able to compete in exchanges enough that Moraes needed to kind of think about it more than was good for him. He flustered Moraes for a good bit in the second until Moraes took it in the last minute or so. Yeah. I 100% agree, though, that Moraes kind of just needs to like probably try to put this fight out as quickly yeah, as possible, I think- though. If yeah, not I think that's fight. kind of the tricky thing with uh, Marab is the other thing is the guys that have beaten Marias tend to be some decent punchers. The other part of where Marias has gone down as opposed to cardio is chin. And Rob Font rocked him with like a jab in the first round. Uh, Corey Sanhagen knocked him out without a ton of fuss. Henry Cejudo kind of beat him up. And that one wasn't a bad chin display, but it was the sort of fight that could ruin your chin because he took a good bit of damage and he's already pretty old. So the question is, is Marab that dude? And I'm not sure he is because I think I, my, my biggest problem with Marab when I watched him was like, I, I can tell he's strong. I can tell like he has a good sense to draw guys in the takedowns and is like pretty cardio freakish for the weight class. But it's like, I think he likes to kind of fill the air with like empty volume and yeah, threats. That's an unorthodoxy. And that kind of thing is a problem. I think versus, um, Marais here because his fights with Lopez and Stamen, for instance, became way too close because both guys basically realized I can back this guy up still pretty easily by recognizing that his volume on the feet ain't that yeah, bad. Yeah, I think that's one thing, but it's also like Marab, A, he has the takedown threat that I think might freak Marias out a bit more than it should. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just because yeah. like wrestling as a concept is exhausting, right? And we don't know how Marias feels about his gas tank. And Secondly, it's just that like if you make Marias work on the counter enough, I think Marab is possibly durable enough that he could just eat it all for a round and just be like, hey, is that all you got? And Marais is like, oh, I guess that's all I got. So I don't know. I think it's a fight where Marab definitely has to run some danger in the first round, but it feels like the wrong kind of matchup mm-hmm. for Marais to win at this stage in his career. Earlier, I'd be pretty confident. I yeah. think Marais would be able to intercept his takedown yeah. attempts pretty consistently, uh, mm-hmm. outfight very effectively, you know, just walk him into left hooks over and over and over. But Yep. Like and even there, like we haven't really seen how Mara, uh, how Marab deals with a strong kicker, how he deals with a strong counter puncher. I mean, the one time we've really seen him against a strong counter puncher was Casey Kenny, and I don't think he looked great in that fight. I'm not gonna uh, say okay, I am gonna say outright. I think I scored it for Casey Kenny live, so it's it's weird. Like even if you're mm-hmm. able to do that sort of thing with Marab, he's always going to win the optic battle. Like he won the optic battle with uh, Frankie science. Those are the only three judges on the world who would have given it to science, even if that was the correct decision. So yeah, I think Mariah's probably needs a miracle to come out with a win. I think he could mm-hmm. probably look pretty good early. It just, you know, it's early. Yeah. It's just, it's just basically the long game kind of yeah. looking at this fight. And that's where like, I think opinion split. So it's like, I feel like it's totally fine to pick Marais to like possibly like exploit those little things that like would make this a really easy fight for him earlier on. But it's like, it's hard to know where Marais is, 
is at this point enough that like, yeah, you can see Mirab just kind of cardio. Yeah, it's just him. like doing the same thing over and over is generally not a way to beat a strong striker like Marais. But at this point, if you're durable enough, you're just going to stop doing those things, I think. Um, like, yeah, Cejudo did a lot more things. He was just an insane speed freak. He was just also stupid durable enough to just eat the kicks and keep moving forward. He figured out the fight. I don't think Marab has the capacity at this point in his career. But Marais is also a lot worse than he was then. And as much credit as I'd like to give Rob Font, who is my favorite Bantamweight at this point, for beating a prime Marias, he just didn't. Uh, he could have been tough for Marias at any point just because he's big and throws a lot of volume, but that's not the guy he beat. So it, it's going to be, I don't know, I don't trust him to turn back the clock, I guess. Uh, but Marab, if this fight looks like a classic Marias fight, as in it ends in like a minute and Marias just nukes him, I wouldn't be shocked. But... No. It's going to be a tough fight for him to win over the distance. Yep. Yeah, I think we've covered it. Um, yeah, so that that's the only other intriguing fight. Oh, wait, Ho- Dan Hooker versus Nazrat Hackparast is either going to be canceled or, like, gonna not. Going to be fought at a 170 so, catch weight. Uh, let's assume that it is happening. So how do we feel about this <sighs> I don't one? have that many takes on this one, honestly. Uh, Dan Hooker, I'm... F- been a notable detractor of for quite some time. Um, he's he's fine. Like uh, when he was among the mm-hmm. quote unquote lightweight elite unquote. It's gonna be you're you're gonna point out his flaws a lot more. I think he's a decent fighter. He's a lot of fun. Uh, he used to be just insanely durable, just a stupid fucking blockhead, uh, and now he got his block knocked off, and now he's just a head. Thank you, Michael Chandler. Uh, so that's really like it, it's tough. Like Dan Hooker, a lot of his edge is just being big and jabby. He likes that knee, but it's not really like a counter knee, which is, I think, the big misconception that people had. He likes drawing guys into it. And I think that's one way that Nasrat could struggle, just because Nasrat, uh, A, he's a southpaw, which means that the knee can just kind of sneak up through the open side. Uh, I think that happened with Jim Miller. But B, he also does a lot of like these big overhands and stuff. And if Hooker can time that, that's one thing. But... I don't know. I don't really trust Hooker under pressure all that much. He likes working in like these big arcs, um, you know, like lots of skipping out on through the same side, uh, squaring up, that sort of thing. He did against Paul Felder for the entire fight. Paul Felder is just a, a, a mm-hmm. woeful pressure fighter. Like, uh, I like the dude. He, he's a fun fighter, but not the best at pressuring people. Uh, so, Hack Press, I think he's a lot better at it. Just, you know, fundamentally, it's just... I remember not being encouraged by his last fight. I just don't remember why. So um, I might just go uh, with the proven guy and pick Hooker just because like, he's you know, durable mm-hmm. and can hit, but I don't know. I think um, I, I think the issue kind of like when, when I was looking at this for Hack Press is like I saw Hack Press like doing intelligent things on the offensive, like working behind an attentive guard and like constantly fainting and like committing when necessary. But I also saw little things that, like, make me kind of worried that, like, he doesn't have much of a kick game on the outside. And, like, he does that. Kelv- we joke <laughs> a lot that Nazrat is, like, that, that like, good Kelvin Gastelum, except, like, he still does that really ugly, like, hook, crooked hooks that Gastelum does, except with some head movement as opposed <laughs> to, like, none. And it means he's open on the counter. That's part of the reason, like, Dober knocked it's him Kelvin out, for Gistel. instance, because... <laughs> Oh God, um, yeah. So uh, good, Kelvin. 
kind of died for, I, I think, two reasons versus Dober. One, the, like, openness on the counter because of that tendency. But two, I really, really think he struggles with, like, proven, like, defensively if he can't get that forward-moving fight. And um, the, the thing is for Hooker is Hooker, I think, is weird because you'll see him, like, concede to an outside fight because he seems to want to be an outfighter, but kind of when Hooker kind of goes after you, he seems like that's where he's better or has some identity <laughs> crisis. Yes. Yeah, it's it's so like you wanted him to pressure. Uh, this fight's head. weird. Yeah, it is. So this fight's really weird because it's like you see Hooker as an avid kicker and like I've seen Hack Press kicked a lot, even by naked kicks, and doesn't really seem to like engage in that kicking battle. Um and um, I, I'm kind of not encouraged by, like, if Hackpress can't, like, push Hooker back, um, it, it might be a really difficult fight for him. But also, if he can't hurt Hooker, that's also a little difficult. But then I kind of thought about, okay, if both guys go forward, does the other guy have a potential answer? And although, like, I, I realized, okay, Hooker is kind of a defensive void sometimes, he still has like some jab going. He still has that counter knee going. He still has yeah, he like has counter, counter right shots too. going. That's probably his better counter punch. And he works the body. Yeah, that's yeah that one too. And so it's like, but what does Hack Press have on the back foot that I've seen? And I couldn't really th- see too much. So I kind of realized, yeah, it kind of it's a weird fight. And for all intents and purposes, Hack Press can kind of nuke Hooker if he does maybe something similar as Chandler did. I don't know. For sure, don't know where Hooker's at in this point, but I know Hooker kind of feels like the more proven guy. And if he still has some of that durability, it kind of feels like it's more his Yeah, fight. I also think it's interesting because you mentioned that Nasrat's def- uh, defense, uh, he does a lot of high guarding. And I think one interesting thing about Dan mm-hmm. Hooker is he came in very prepared for Poirier's weird shell. Uh, did a lot of very clever things in the first couple rounds with like body head combos and like hook jab change ups. So. Yeah, the, pro- the problem versus Poirier is that like. Hooker kind of had to take him out otherwise while well, he's not yeah. a five-rounder. I think that's another thing is even with Hooker's counters, uh, he does he isn't anything in extended exchanges. Like, to be honest, he, he really relies on guys walking into that first counter being like, ow, I don't want to be here anymore, resetting and coming at him again. Uh, after a certain point in exchanges, which is like that one counter, he just hates life. So with that, a, a really dedicated pressure fighter who works well in extended exchanges could be bad for him. But also, it's mm-hmm. tough, because I don't think we've really seen Nasrat in this sort of situation. I think I remember why I didn't like his last fights, because he willingly took the back foot, which is a, a bad sign. Um, he, yeah. I, I think I remember liking his performance against the Alex Munoz, where he started. Uh, he got taken down early, but then he started really pressuring him, putting together levers off his rear hand and like uppercutting him. Yeah, I liked him. Um, I did have one criticism of his game before I saw the Munoz fight, which is like using his jab more often. And and I especially liked how it was used as a counter jab or like a tool to draw responses. So it's like you see him trying new things. It's just like how much depth has he really added since like these last few fights? Yeah, it, it feels like a sort of fight where it takes away Hooker's sort of most reliable weapons due to southpawness. It takes away the calf kick and it takes away the jab. But against Poirier, he did a good job. Like I don't want to just because I'm a notable mm-hmm. Hooker detractor, I'm not going to take away from what is perhaps his best performance. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Hooker showed up yeah. for that fight. 100%. He, he looked like a good fighter, and it's like 
I think this sort of fight is the one that he's somewhat prepared for. I don't know who I'm rooting for just because I've been waiting for a, a ranked lightweight to fight an unranked lightweight for so long. And yet this is <laughs> not the unranked lightweight. I would have like first, second, third, fourth place in line. So, you know, it should have been Demiris Magulov. I would have far less reservations about that one. But yeah, uh, I could see this one going either way. I guess I'll go with Hooker. I just, the last fight from Hack Press just kind of mm-hmm. cinches it for me. I think he needs to pressure and I don't know if I can trust him to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 Fenyo and I agreed on Hooker for kind of reasons I think I've implied pretty heavily. But um, yeah, I, at the very least, it'll be an interesting fight to kind of see where like where both guys kind of are. Because I don't think anyone thinks Hooker's going to become a lead again without big changes. But this could be a chance for Hack Press to kind of step up. Yeah, I think up. Hooker's also probably done as an elite even if he makes changes just because his physical attributes are going a bit down, I think. Um, and mm-hmm. it's possible that Chandler just got him just right, and that was a huge hook. Like he was walking right into it. Yeah, it's possible. And Chandler Chandler's always been a notoriously big hitter. Like in it, even in like a division of like thunderous hitters. Like yeah, like there there are a ton of know. caveats to that, but also it's just eminently worrying when someone goes through a fight like Dustin Poirier mm-hmm. and then immediately gets knocked out in the first couple minutes. Like it's not good. Yeah. So there's that. But yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting enough fight. Uh, other fights, I don't really think there's anything super good. We, no, there's there, there's yeah. nothing else. It's basically heavyweights, people you yeah, won't we, we, know. And um, there there are some, Fenyo talks about like some value in some of them um, that are worth checking out in some of the prelims. But otherwise, yeah. Um, yeah, and then you can hear us complain more about like heavyweights being bad. Yeah, we, we weird. talked um, last week about old man fights, and we've got another one this time. Uh, we just completely passed over it the first time we looked at this one. Uh, but yeah, Nick Diaz versus Rami Lawler too, uh, aka stop booking these old men, you cynical shits. But AKA it'll it'll maybe hopefully be competitive at I, best, like a Lawler Brown. Or at worst, it'll be really, really depressing, and you'll keep thinking, couldn't this have been six or seven nah, years I just, ago? I really, it's tough to care about either at this point, honestly. Like, Nick Diaz has never really been my thing. Either of the Diaz's, really, they're not really my thing. Um, and, you know, the fanaticism around them is incredibly annoying, and I'm not above being petty in that way. Uh, Robbie Lawler, he lost to Neil Magny, so I'm completely fine if he never looks good again. Like, if he looks good now, that's a, that's a, a, an indictment, because that means a good version of him lost to Neil Magny, and that is just unforgivable. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't... Uh, hmm. I struggle with this one. I don't really want to watch it. I don't More than the fact that I don't want to watch it, I don't want it to happen. It's bad. Uh, it's basically a thriller fight night on a mm. UFC card, so uh, kill it with fire. But... Anything else? I mean, I suppose there's people who would like Rosenstrike versus Blades. Feels like a UFC one tier fight where there's like a wrestler who's gonna bowl over a striker. I'm gonna I'm gonna sum that fight up in this way. How much can other alternative universe Lewis deal with Blades' potential moments of being stupid, or how will Blades be stupid? Yeah, I've, who I've knows? I'm dedicated to being an ironic Rosenstrike fan just because. Uh, <laughs> of something with Connor. I don't remember what. I think he said even I wouldn't be a Rosenstrike fan, so I've just decided to be a Rosenstrike <laughs> fan. But I can't I can't keep Good. up the bit. I mean Rosenstrike, he's like he does some <laughs> things that are alright, but he doesn't do enough of those things to overall be alright. Um he lost a gun, which is bad. So there it is. Uh yeah, I think that might be yeah, the end I, of this one. I think Yeah, I think that's the entire pod, but um 
Yeah, anything we have to plug at all? Or we... Yeah, I'll plug uh, Ewan Fenio's thing again. Go check that out, the uh, the card review. What's it called again? Uh, usually it's just kind of a generic preview yeah. pod. We just go through the entire guard card from bottom to top and basically go like, why are these guys fighting? This matchmaking sucks. Or we go like, this will be boring. This will maybe be interesting. And, and then somehow end up talking for 10 minutes about a bad yeah, fight. I was expecting it to have a really snappy name, but I guess, you know, we, we need to work on branding. Listen, th- th- this this is me. I can't come up with good titles, according to some of our staff like members. Me. My titles are the best. And your titles are pretty grand. Although the Times New Roman font one was, that was awesome. disgusting. Fuck you. I actually <laughs> no. left all my, okay. I, I left all my um, good titles as headings. I had like jam rocked and like... Uh, no love lost. That was some good shit. No love lost should have been the article That's title. Fine. Yeah. Oh, uh, I do have something to plug. I also released. Uh, I re-released something I wrote before uh, the Volk Max One breakdown, just inc- clarifying how Volkanovski did that, and some statements clarifying how I think Volkanovski works as a fighter. Um, I wrote that originally back in November, I think. Um, I rewrote some sections, but and clarified some things, and also kind of edited the ending. Um, if you enjoy that piece and you're curious about my thoughts on the rematch, well, I gave a hyperlink to my old blog uh, for that one, and it's like 7K <laughs> words, so be prepared. Yeah. It's very good. I took a read like in November, and I took a read again. It's uh, it's incredible. Great work. Uh, if Volkanovski Ortega ends up as, uh, as uh, interesting as we thought, I might do something on it afterwards. That does tend to be my mm-hmm. niche, just immediate afterwards stuff. So uh, check that out. Tends to do good numbers on Reddit, which is why I do them. What? But yeah, I think that's yeah. the end of this one. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I know you miss mm-hmm. Ed. We miss him too. But uh, hopefully he'll be here next time. We miss Ed, but he'll never bring his dog on a podcast, and we keep bugging him about it. No, we don't. It's but okay. We'll we start. love you, Ed. See you guys soon. We love you, Ed. Bye. Bye.